Yes, who's ready to go? You guys ready to go? Hey, if you're new or uh, recently started attending in the last few months and you haven't heard me preach, my name is Jake. I have the honor of serving as a young adult pastor here at Res Life, and I get to pastor the most amazing group of people ever. Give yourselves a round of applause. You guys literally, like, you guys literally, like, inspire me so much. And I, I'm not just saying that. Like, seeing your, all of your passion and your love and commitment to Jesus, this is not a one-way, like, I'm your pastor, and so I'm so much better than you. That's, like, the contrary. Like, I can say that, like, so many of you, like, the more I get to know you, the more I'm just encouraged by your love and, and devotion to Jesus. So just thank you guys for that. We're one family. We're not, we're not a business. This is a family, right? Amen? And we're growing together. And even if you just are visiting Welcome to the family dinner tonight. We don't have food, but it's kind of like what we're saying. So besides the point, um, I have a a phrase that's going to be showing up on the screen. Let me know if you've ever heard this like phrase before. Give me your hands up. Have you ever heard this before? Like I know there's this like, yeah, like I I remember hearing this in high school. I went to Granville High School and like people would find out I'm a Christian or that I like went to church and then, you know, they're drinking and having sex and doing drugs. And then, then, then something would come up like only God can judge me. And I remember hearing a funny, like a funny meme, or it was like a comedian, and he was, he was talking about only God can judge me, and he's like, yo, that is like scary. Like God, God, like God can actually judge you, and you're flippantly saying it like, like a joke, like it doesn't matter. It's like, no, God's going to judge. But this is this statement, and it, and it resonates with our culture because we have this, um, we have this culture that is, is postmodern, and so it believes in what's called subjective truth. And so what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. So don't judge what's right for me because we're different. And so do what, you do you, I'll do me, and we just won't get in each other's business. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like as long as you just don't stop my desire and my um, opinions, like we're cool. But the, the funny thing about like the statement, only God can judge me, is that no, the Bible... It does say it, but the Bible doesn't really say that. The Bible doesn't say to not have an opinion about cultural issues. <laughs> like, the Bible doesn't say just let the world do what they're going to do and, like, don't have any opinions. It, the, the Bible doesn't say that. No, the Bible does say don't judge others, but, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, about what does it actually mean to, ju- to like, do not judge others. And so in light of this, we're going to be talking about our 242 initiative, if you haven't been around or maybe you're unfamiliar with this, our 242 initiative is uh, an initiative about community. It's based on Acts 242, when it says the, the disciples, or they, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the scriptures, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And it's an initiative that we have that we want, we want every young adult at Resurrection Life Church to have friendships devoted to Jesus and spiritual disciplines, like communion, prayer, scripture reading, and worship. That we don't want you just to have Christian friends. We want every young adult to be pursuing Christ with their Christian friends. Not attending church with their Christian friends, but pursuing Jesus and submitting to Jesus with their friends. There's a, a big difference. There's a big difference between having friends that have the same values and same, vote the same political party and having friends that you pursue Jesus and submit to Christ and to one another, right? And so this in light, what do we do with judgment and judging others in, in, as it relates to our community or our friends that are pursuing Jesus together? So 
I played college basketball. I played at uh, Grace Bible College, a small school. Like, I'm not that good at basketball, but I, I did make it to uh, Grace Bible College. Um, and so there was, t- actually, I'm going to have, where's Corey? I, t- I warned him. I was going to invite him up. Come on, Corey, get up here. So um, this is Corey. Corey's tall. So how tall are you? Six foot six. How tall are you with the hair? Six seven with the hair. Okay, cool. So Corey's six six. Okay, so you can like see the difference in height. So I'm a basketball team. There was a, there was a guy who was like who's six foot eleven. That's crazy. So that's like taller than you. Yeah. That is taller than you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you can go sit down. I just wanted to give you like an example of how tall this man was. You will lock him up, probably. <laughs> but, so this guy, six foot 11, his name was Austin. He was just huge, right? He was really big. He was not that fast. And so in sprints, it was really annoying because when you're playing on a basketball team, most coaches have a rule that when you're doing sprints, they time them, and everyone has to cross the finish line, otherwise the whole team has to do the sprint over again. It's the dumbest thing ever, right? right? Especially when you've got a six foot 11 guy who weighs like almost 300 pounds who's got to make the timeline, right? You're like, I'm making the time, and you're not. Like, we are not okay. And so we'd run the sprint, and then I, we'd all finish on time, and there'd be an individual who's six foot 11, <laughs> Austin, who would not make the time. And we'd all, you know, you're like, roll your eyes at him. And you're just like, and then finally, I was a team captain. I was like, I am not, I, if I have to put that dude on my back, <laughs> I will get that guy across the finish line. So instead of me running as fast as I could, I placed myself right next to him. And I looked at him, I said, you're making, <laughs> like you are going to make this time. And I ran, and instead of running as fast as I could, I was running and I was literally yelling at him to run faster, and I would just keep myself just ahead of him, and I was like yelling at him to run faster, and run faster, and run faster, and run faster, and I was yelling, and I was not nice, and he made it, and what I would find is that when I would put myself next to Austin and push him to run, he would run faster. When he was left to himself, he would often miss the time, and I want to play that as an analogy to what the Bible calls us to as, it relates to as it relates to us as we might think as judging other people, or at least judging our Christian friends. So the Bible never says, do not judge your Christian friends. The Bible does say to not judge outsiders, but it doesn't say, do not judge your Christian friends. So what we'll be talking about today is that God instructs relational correction to help us mature as Christians. So God instructs relational correction to help us mature in our relationship to Christ. So similarly to me running next to Austin and yelling at him to run faster, so it is with our friendships that are devoted to Jesus, that there are going to be times that you need to place yourself next to one of your friends to call them to live a higher lifestyle. And that's, 
You might sound mean. You might sound intense. They might, they might take it the wrong way and hate you for doing it. But there are times that God instructs us as brothers and sisters and as a family to call people up. So we are instructed to correct our Christian friends. Not all the time, but at times. So 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13 says this. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. So that's what I was referring to earlier. Like if other people, if unbelievers are in sin, then it's not my job to judge them, right? It's not my job to judge people's lifestyle who don't claim to be Christian because we don't have the same values. We don't have the same standards. We're not living, they're not claiming to live according to the scriptures. So we don't need to judge them. We love them. Now, I'll pause there and say what I said earlier. Because I'll say it again. Is that, doesn't mean you can't have discernment. Doesn't mean that you as a person cannot say, that is wrong. There is a difference, my friends, about saying that is wrong and casting judgment. What culture will tell you is that as soon as you say that is wrong, you are judging, therefore hateful, therefore bigoted. That's not in the Bible either. The Bible instructs us, instructs us to use discernment, but to not cast judgment on individual people. So whether it be about sexuality, whether it be about, that's, that's a huge one in our culture, right? Sexuality, whether it, be about, um, whether it be about drugs, whether it be about alcohol, whether it be about any other lifestyle, whether it be about pride, whether it be about language. Like we don't judge individuals for acting, but we can still use discernment to say, according to the standard that we see in scripture, that is wrong. Is, that, is this making sense? And a lot, a lot of you are like, yeah, I know that, Jake, but a lot of you don't understand, a lot of, you, a lot of us, I would say, don't understand and aren't even picking up on how much culture is influencing us. We're afraid to voice our, our opinion on matters of morality because we're fearful of being labeled as hateful. And so we keep our mouth shut, and even though we're called to use discernment, we just stay quiet so we don't uh, rustle the feathers of other people and culture. Now, I'm not telling you to go on the, on the street corner and to yell at people for their sin. I'm not saying that. But I am saying is that you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, are mandated not to judge them, but to use discernment on what is right and what is wrong. Not your own discernment based on your own experiences, but the discernment that we find through the teaching of scriptures. And you can't use that discernment unless you know the scriptures. So that's why I encourage and we, we, we spur every person in this room and listening to this later on that you love and fall in love with the scriptures because when you do, you will not meet words on a page. You meet the author of the book. And it's his thoughts that he's given to us so that we can live our best life. Can I get amen? Amen. Because anyway, I'm only through the first part of that verse. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your It is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outsides, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Don't, don't worry, we're not going to, like, if you sin today, I'm not going to kick you out, okay? That's not, that's, not the, that's not the application of this message, because I'd have to kick a lot of you out. <laughs> not Kimmy. 
Oh, no, kick him out. Sorry. Anyway, we're keep going. But it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. You know, there was a group of theologians from America that got together recently, and they were studying the original manuscripts of uh, the Torah, which is the Old Testament. And they discovered something that they missed. And that all the scriptures that up to this point forgot the 11th commandment. Do you know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt be nice. I'm obviously, I'm kidding. (laughs) Thou shalt be nice. In our culture, we have a value of being nice that is, quite frankly, it's not unbiblical, but it's, it, it's taken way too far. God calls us to love. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. These three, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If you do all these things, if you prophesy and give to the poor, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. So love is our target. God is love, but love does not equal nice. It is nice, like love is nice, but it is not always interpreted as nice. And this is where we get with our culture clashing with with what God has called us to as Christians, living in community with our brothers and sisters, is that there are going to be times when you have a friend, a Christian friend, and we'll get to the kind of the boundaries of this later, who is living in sin, they claim the name of Christ, they claim to be Christian, they're in your sphere of influence, and you and I, because I'm just as guilty me, I'm preaching to myself today, amen. I am preaching to myself, the people pleaser, who doesn't like to ruffle feathers, who doesn't like people to not like me. I'm talking to myself tonight, okay? But I'm feeling that some of you can also hear it too. I'm fearful that in our attempt to be nice, that we are are actually uh, sinning towards God by not obeying the scriptures. That in our attempt to be nice, we're actually disobeying God's commandment for community. So our goal is, who wants to be Christ-like? Give me your hands up. Who wants to be Christ-like? Listen, here's my thing. You cannot be Christ-like on your own. You need the Holy Spirit, but God's also given us Friends, Christian friends, and they are going to see things in your life that you will never see. And you don't want a friend who will lie to you. You want a friend who will be honest with you. You don't want a friend who just allows you to sit in your sin. You want a friend who says, look at that man, Jesus. You're not looking like him right now, but I see a day where you'll look like him. Come on, yell like I yelled at Austin Fader. Come on, get up, get off the ground. Strip off the weight that so easily ensnares. We have a race to run. We have a king to proclaim. We have a life to live. Stop sitting in your sin. We, we, have, we have forgotten the mandate to love. The most loving thing we can do for our Christian friends, the most loving thing you can do for someone in your 242 is to gently and kindly but sternly tell them that they are more than the sin they're living in and that they are called to a higher standard and, and run and walk with them say, let's go towards holiness together. Not to judge them, to love them. And some of you, some of us, when we do that, they hate us for it. They say, well, why are you judging me? You think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? 
Who are you to tell me that I'm living in sin? I know this, this, and this about you, and I know this, this, this about your past. And that's when you say, listen, I did all those things, and I'm just saying, I want to go here, and I'm saying, you're my friend. Let's go here together. And if they hate you for it, guess what? You pray for them even harder because that means their heart is even in a worse spot than you thought in the first place, and they need Jesus and the Holy Spirit that much more. And what you did is you expedited the process of showing what their true colors were, so now you know what you're really working with. Because if someone can't take correction from a, from a place of a sincere heart, that means that they are not in a good place with a soft heart that wants Jesus and holiness for their life. It may be uncomfortable, but it's the most loving thing you can do for someone. The alternative is what? They're living in sin, you let them live in sin, and then they have an accident, and they die, and they go meet Jesus, and, and then What? The alternative is you live your whole life and then, they're, and then they're off on the straight path and then you meet Jesus one day and he's going to say, what did you do with my daughter that was in your life? You knew, he, you knew you're going to look back and you're going to say, you knew all the time and yet you were so afraid of offending them that you never said anything. And I'm not calling us to, 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 to be rude and mean and, 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 and judgmental, but I'm calling us... And this is probably isn't even an every week thing. This isn't something you'll do every month with your friends. But you have to be willing. You have to be ready. You have to develop in your heart the fortitude and the courage to say, you know what? When this happens, I will not be on the sidelines. I will not let my friends stay stuck because I want my friends to be devoted, to my friendships to be devoted to Jesus and the spiritual disciplines. Give me like a thumbs up if this is, if this is resonating. I, I feel like I want to talk about this word judge. It says, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church. And we don't like that word judge. Like, we don't like that word. We think it's, it's kind of like a cuss word for like 21st century Christians. It's like, judge? <laughs> Did you, uh, what? Let's bleep that out. You know what I mean? Like, let's bleep that out because we don't like it. And it's like, no, okay, let's, let's reframe this. It's not judge as in cast condemnation. It's to discern. If you discern sin in your Christian friends, you should gently and humbly, which we'll get to, approach it. Another thing that we want to mention here is that when we're calling, and I, and I framed it this way, but when we're, when we're calling out sin in a friend, we are not calling out, we are calling up. So judgment or condemnation points out sin for punishment. But love points out sin for transformation. So judgment says, you need to be punished. But love says, I see so much more in you. I see who God has created you to be. I see the life that God has mandated you to live. I see who you are. You are not your sin. You are not your failure. You are not this addiction. You are not this. And that's why I'm saying, you aren't this, so stop living that way. There's a better way, and I want to help you get there. If you'll allow me into your story, into your life in that capacity. Love does not call out, love calls up. It sees God's potential. It sees God's identity that they've placed in the individual. And we say, you are more than what you're in. So let's start living towards the life that God has for you and how God already sees you. 
So it's not our job to control those people. It's not our job to, to micromanage their sin or their life or their decisions. It's our, go- it's our job to catch the heart of the Father, God's heart for them, and then to partner with God in any capacity that they would allow you to where you step in and help them on their journey towards Christlikeness. But we will never be able to do that if you will not have the conversation. If you are too afraid, if you are too self-centered, because that's what it is, if you are too self-centered, if you are too worried about yourself, if you're too worried about being liked, you will never have the conversation. And God has such a better life for you and for your relationship to get it, like, get real. So many people pretend like there's no sin, and it's like we all have sin, but we won't talk about it because then we just stay comfortable in our sin, and, but we'll worship and we'll go to church, but it's like, no. See, church... This gathering is meant to spur you on so that your friendships become devoted to Jesus so you can become more like Christ in small groups. These small friendships, these small, close, intimate friendships that are devoted to Jesus and Christ-likeness. I am preaching tonight. I mean, I'm not saying that's like amazing, like the best message I've ever done, but I feel like I'm going to lose my voice tonight. Like, I need some more water. Trevor, so small, short story. I don't have much time left, but I'm going to share it. Trevor is amazing. You guys know Trevor? He's like the best. Like Trevor's my dude. Even though he's a state fan. Like I forgave him for that a long time ago. <laughs> but Trevor, every time he gives me water, he, he'll give me a water and then I'll take a step and he goes, no refills. <laughs> no refills. So similar to how I encourage my teammate Austin to run faster, so we must be willing to step alongside our friends, to have the conversation, to have the sit-down that's not, that's not camouflaged and beating around the bush, but is straight, pointed, and communicated clearly that I want, if you'll allow me, I see this pattern in your life, and it is not who you are. Like, what is going on? Is there any way that I can help? That... That is judging a brother or sister. I've noticed this. How can I help? Is there a way I can help? It's not, hey, you're in sin. We need to have an intervention here. (laughs) And so I'm just telling you, you are in sin. Got to do better, man. (laughs) That's not it. It's relational. It's friendship. So God instructs relational correction to help us mature. This is what it says in Galatians 1 or six, one through two. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It's important here, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, we obey the law of Christ. So if you have a friend that is like, that is a, let's say, smoking weed, or maybe they're, they're going out in the, to the bar and they're partying, and maybe they're, they're, they're participating in activity that you do not see as, as consistent with a godly lifestyle, like, what they're saying here is, like, gently and help them restore themselves to Christ-likeness and to their path and to, to the way of Christ, but don't, like, say, well, okay, I want to reach them, so I want to relate, so I'm going to go to the bar with them, and then I'll have the conversation at the bar. Okay, not a good idea. <laughs> Be careful, like it says here, that you don't, uh, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. 
I see a lot of young people who have this desire because they've encountered Christ and the love of Christ and they know they've been forgiven and they have this deep desire for evangelism to reach people who were in the situation that they were in and so they put themselves in compromising situations and then, and then three months later they find themselves back at where they were because they put themselves in environments that tempted them back into their old lifestyle. So don't do that. If another believer is overcome by sin, Go and talk to other friends about it and ask if you think they're okay and what you should do about their sin that you've noticed. Wait, that doesn't say that there? So we shouldn't talk to our other friends about our friend who is sinning. You know, I've just, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I've noticed this on Instagram. What do you think about that? You know, I've noticed this about their behavior. Um, I was just curious if you saw the same thing. Don't do that, friends. It's called gossip. It's called slander. And it is, uh, it is dishonoring to every friend that, you, that you've done that to. It is dishonoring. It is not good judgment. It is not good discernment. You see, the, the scriptures tell us to restore those who are overcome by sin. And Matthew also talks about, it says, I think it's in Matthew 18, it says, if someone sins against you, go directly to them. Don't go to three other people and tell them what happened. You go to them. And you mend the relationship. And you, and you have the conversation. Don't gossip about your friends who are in sin. That is doing damage to the redemptive process. It is not helping. We've all been in a situation where gossip is happening and then the person who everyone's gossiping about finds out about it. It is never, it is never a good situation when that happens. Y'all been talking about me behind my back? The, the way of the scriptures tell us to go directly to people and to not slander and gossip and there's a good reason for it. It's because it's the way that we honor our friends and see them for who they're called to be. So a few things, this type of uh, relational correction, a few way, things that should always be done when we're doing this. So, a few kind of boundaries, if I can say it that way. So with close Christian friends, with close Christian friends, if you have a friend who's an unbeliever, you can, you can use maybe, or you can have conversations about their lifestyles and ask them and be curious about like how they feel that's, uh, that's how they feel that's affecting them as a person and say like, hey, I noticed you've been like drinking a ton. Are you okay? You know what I mean? Or, hey, I noticed you've been like really getting high, like a lot, like are you like hiding from something? Like what is going on? Or, you know, whatever it is that, that you're, you're dealing with a friendship who's not a Christian, but with close Christian friends. It's important here. We're not called to get in every, like other people's business. We're called to have friendships devoted to Jesus and then we devote them and we humble ourselves under Christ and then we humble ourselves to each other to growth towards Christ's likeness, knowing that I can't see everything in the mirror. I'm not going to be able to see my sin as clearly as my Christian brother. And I, and I tell him that if you see anything in my life, please tell me. I don't want to be ignorant about my sin or my sin patterns because I am a human and I am blind to things. So please tell me. Ultimately, we have to get to a place where we have friendships, where we trust another Christian brother or sister more than we even trust ourselves. And that when they correct us, we take it. So with close Christian friends. Should always be done in person. In person. 
with humility. Don't, don't like text them and be like, hey, I saw some things on Instagram or I saw some things on Snapchat the other week and I just want you to know that I'm not okay with that <laughs> or something like that. People do interesting things when they're trying to, 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 to really help someone but they don't want to be confrontational. They don't want it to be awkward. Do it in person. Thirdly, with prayer. Don't do it without praying first. Like, don't do it, don't do it flippantly. Like, consider, because we want to do it with honor. We want to see what God sees in the person. We're not calling things out. We're calling things up, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need the help of the scriptures in order to help us develop dynamic friendships that are centered on Jesus. And my last, uh, my last little uh, tip here is that when we're in your friendships, Nick and I, Nick Mayo and I have talked about this quite a lot. We practice this in our friendship. Is a thing called care fronting. Everyone say care fronting. It's not a real word, okay? Don't worry. We, it's like made up. The idea is that before you ever confront, you have to communicate care. So if you haven't made any deposits into the relational friendship, or into the friendship, you can't make withdrawals. If you're not, if you have a, you have a friend that's love language is words of affirmation, you, you, can't, you can't call them out on their sin if you haven't first made, first made deposits of words of affirmation about who they are and what they mean to you. If it's gifts, you can't, you can't just go and call someone out on their sin if you haven't first invested into the friendship by doing things to offer gifts and show them that you care. So we're not just calling people out, we're having relationship with other Christians and we want them to be centered on Christ that help us grow towards Christ-likeness. And so care fronting, so the, the statement is we want to make a deposit before we ever make a withdrawal. Now if you get to a point where you're noticing a sin pattern but you haven't made a deposit in a long time, you haven't seen him, you haven't had good conversations, you haven't encouraged him, you haven't, you haven't like you haven't done something with them in a long time, that's where you need to use discernment and say, well, maybe I should say it, or maybe I should just let this go. Because I want this friendship to last, and and what I wouldn't recommend is doing a manipulative thing where you, like, go and, like, (laughs) they'll they'll read through it so fast, okay? Don't be fake. We're like, hey, just really love you, and then, like, the next day be like, hey, I have to have a conversation with you about something. Like, don't do that. Like, over time, be committed to the friendship in caring and loving and showing brotherly or sisterly love for one another. So when the time comes that that might need to happen, you have already made deposit after deposit after deposit after deposit so your check doesn't bounce when you got to cash it. That's what Christian friendships are about. It's not about game nights, and it's not about common interests and in music. It's about moving towards Christ-likeness, although the common interests do matter. <laughs> And so lastly, the last thing I want to share with you tonight is out of Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard uh, you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, When you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then, y'all have been misreading this y'all whole life. You'd have been like, don't judge other people. Listen, listen to the then. Then, then, 
These are the conditions that are appropriate that you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This analogy, this parable is not meant to say you shouldn't judge others. It's to say that you should always judge yourself, discern your own sin before you ever think about dealing with someone else. But most of us growing up, we just heard, yeah, you know, don't, if you, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye. If you have a plank in your own eye, that's true. But it's never saying that you shouldn't look at that speck. It's saying that you should deal with yourself first. And then when you deal with yourself first, you'll have the humility because God who has forgiven me of my junk, I know he can forgive. The life transformation that I'm seeing can happen for you. And let's do this together. If we are going to help our close friends with their sin, we must first be willing to own up to our own. And we also must be willing to take correction. That if you are going to be someone who's committed to dealing this thing out, <laughs> keeping other people accountable, we've got to be humble enough to say, you know what, I, God, I'm blind, help me. Send, a, send someone, help me to see where I'm blind so that I can grow towards more Christ-likeness in you. And if you'll have that heart, then the Lord will give you the grace in order to help your friends and to help your community and your 242, your friendships, grow in, in connection to Christ. Would you guys bow your heads as we close in prayer? You know, we talked about calling people up instead of calling people out. And the reason we, we, I say that, that that way is because that is exactly how Jesus treated us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death, Jesus' death on the cross was not a condemnation of your sin. It was a, it was a payment for your sin. Christ's death on the cross was not because he had to. It's because he saw who you really were, and sin was in the way. He was not calling you out on the cross. He was calling you up. And his death and his resurrection paid the price for sin, all of your sin. And it's as simple. To receive that forgiveness is as simple as recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, who, who, who is the Lamb of God, who took away your sin, putting your faith and your trust in, your, in His ability to save you and rejecting the control of your own life and your own eternal destination. The reason I say it, calling up and not out, is because that is exactly what Jesus did for you. He saw you even while you were a sinner. That is why we follow Jesus, because there, no like, there is no one like him. That's why he deserves all of our life, because he gave everything for us, and his, our life towards him is not a chore. Our best life is found in the arms of Jesus, our beautiful Savior. And if you are away from God tonight, it's as simple as making a, an inward decision to, 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 to reorient your priority away from yourself and the world and the material possessions and reorient and make that commitment in your heart to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that and receive the forgiveness that he has and that he offered on the cross. If that's you and you want, if you're away from God and you want to receive that forgiveness, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. When you raise your hand, it's not a special formula. It's just an outward expression of what you feel God doing in your heart. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you, and you want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offered on the cross 2,000 years ago. Just raise your hand. One, 
two, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. I see that hand. You can put your hands down. It's not important that I saw your hand. God sees your heart. He knows everything that's going on in your life right now. And he's not a distant God who's dealing it from afar. He is a close God. So would everyone just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me in my sin. I am lost without you. I confess today that I believe that Jesus' death on the cross paid for all my sin and that his resurrection guarantees my eternal life. I offer you my life with all of its brokenness. Make something beautiful out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.